Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Martin, a podcast show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Martin. So before we jump into the conversation with our next guest, I want to let you know a slight change in the format. At the beginning of every conversation now, I add a few questions, about five, that are five questions with five facts that give you a big picture or overview of what this career is all about. After which we dive into the meat of the conversation and get a much more fuller picture of what this profession is and the career can entail. So before I introduce you to our next wonderful guest, let me ask you this question. Is there a profession that you know of that helps mothers that are expecting or about to give birth? Is there any profession that helps them through that? Like literally helps guide them, provide as a consultant, there with them the whole time during the birthing process? Nope, it's not a nurse. It's not an OBGYN. Not usually. It is a doula, a birth doula to be specific. And that is a topic of this conversation. Today's guest is Stephanie Heitziller. She is a birth doula. Originally born in New York City, she moved to Germany at a very young age where she was raised. After high school, she pursued a midwifery career and obtained a midwifery certificate in Germany, as well as being an acupuncturist. She eventually moved to New York where she was a medical assistant at one point and a licensed tour guide for New York City. After the necessary training, she became a doula here in New York City. She is also a certified lactation consultant. Besides practicing as a birth doula and lactation consultant, she is also the founder of thenewyorkbaby.com, an agency with about 20 plus doulas and three baby specialists. With her company, she's able to offer childbirth classes, workshops, birth support, postpartum visits, lactation consultations, day and nighttime baby specialists. This is someone who has had a career in and around the pregnancy and birth of a child. At the time of this interview, Stephanie was in Germany and I was in New York City. So this was definitely the first guest I had from the EU. All right, let's jump into this really awesome interview with Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for joining me on this episode. Hi, nice to see you. And I, of course, you are in Germany and I'm here in New York during this recording. So that's pretty neat. I haven't interviewed anybody in, anybody in Germany yet. So that's pretty neat. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Corona times. <laughs> Corona times. So let's do some five quick questions that we kind of alluded to before. What exactly is your job title and what is your job description? I am a birth and postpartum doula. A doula is a birth coach, a coach for pregnancy, birth and postpartum. And the word doula comes from the Greek and means woman who serves. It's basically a very, very old profession. What are the usual steps to achieve your profession? To become a doula in the United States, you contact one of the main agencies that certify doulas, which is DTI, Doulas Training International, or uh, DONA, Doulas of North America. And usually a training is pretty short. It's about a week, about a week training. And then it takes another six months to serve clients, sometimes for free, sometimes for low cost. 
and have them write up how your support was. Read a certain kind of books, do some more classes. They usually have a whole list of classes that you also need to take. And then six months later, you're a doula. However, it's not a protected profession. So it's like coach. Everybody could be a doula. You don't need to be certified to be a doula. In what settings do people in your industry work? I'd say all over the country, generally in larger cities, it's more common. Uh, but uh, what settings? Is it a hospital, uh, homes? Oh, both. Mostly hospital, but it could be client's home. It could be birthing center. We usually start laboring at home, go to the hospital together. So we, we basically follow the client wherever she wants to have the baby. What type of patients do you work with? I work with pregnant patients, <laughs> sometimes wannabe, but uh, pregnant during labor and then new families, new babies. Got new it. Moms. And what other professions do you usually work with closely? I work mostly with OBGYNs. I also work with pediatricians, with a lot of people in the healthcare field, with the power circle is sort of acupuncturists, chiropractors, nutritionists, naturopaths, everyone who's trying to keep women healthy during pregnancy when they cannot take a lot of medication. So let's dive deeper into this, if you don't mind, Stephanie. You talked about being a birth and postpartum doula. How are you exactly helping patients in that setting? What are you exactly doing? Yeah, that's a good question. Many people don't even know what a doula is yeah. doing. And um, I will tell you, Stephanie, I learned more when we first talked yeah. about what you do. And that was very eye-opening for me. So I yeah. will tell you, I'm very naive about this career. In a way, it's like being a tour guide for a very difficult trip <laughs> or like a wedding planner for an incredibly difficult wedding. Oh my gosh. We, because we are being hired for usually six months. So someone contacts me four months before their due date. They interview me. They hire me. We have a contract so that they know I'll be around for them and I'll be on call for them. Okay. Especially the three weeks around their due date. And they contact me whenever something's going on with their pregnancy, when they have questions, when they feel any major changes in their body, not necessarily labor related, when they have updates about the pregnancy questions. I tell them how to prepare for the birth. We go over what to expect at the hospital and we certainly want to create birth preferences. So my goal is for the client to have the birth that they want. Of course, we don't know what the baby wants. We don't know right. what's happening, but mm -hmm. we always have a foundation. And that's what I work with during the pregnancy. We look at what is her philosophy? What is a good birth for her? Is it pain-free? Is it, you know, as medicated as possible, staying home a long time, birthing at home or birthing at the hospital? And we communicate that with the OBGYN or midwife. Once she goes in labor, she'll call me first. And we usually stay in touch for a day or two until we truly know this is really labor. If things yeah. pick up quickly, then of course we meet quickly, but usually I meet them at home. And from them on, I'm pretty hands-on. So it's all about coaching the mother, finding the right position, breathing with her, giving the right breathing technique for the phase of labor she's in. Lots of counter pressure, acupressure, pain relief, yeah. and observing her, making sure she feels safe. The safer a mother feels in labor, the better the birth outcome and the, the better usually birth goes in terms of it, it progresses because she feels good. She, she feels she can let go. And in the hospital, I'll continue with this, doing the same thing. But oftentimes, there's a lot of translation of medical terms, mm. helping with decisions. Should yeah. we break the water or not? Should we induce or not? Should we give a Pitocin artificial contractions or not? So 
there's a lot of interventions in the hospital that start with just drawing blood. That's already considered an intervention. Mm. But it's more looking at when should we do this? The mother knows this is important. This is necessary. And, and feeling that there's someone by her side who is advocating for her. And so I am by the mother's side and partner's side. Until the baby's born. If the birth takes two days, I'll be there for two days. Wow. And um, Like around the clock? Around the clock, yeah. It can be very tough, <laughs> but also really rewarding because I, I kind of get into the zone with the mother and, and really you know, find myself giving birth somehow myself. She's releasing all these hormones <laughs> and I know what face she's in and how to help. So it, oftentimes you really, if someone is stressed next to you and you yeah. can help, you, you kind of forget yourself during that time. And that's what happens with me. I usually feel aches and pains after the birth. and not, not doing. Especially um, if you're with them that long. Yeah. Yeah. For long births, it can be tough. I mean, I've learned over the years how to take care of myself and not yeah. give everything at the beginning of labor. Mm. Try to be hands off in the beginning and do more once she's in active labor and close to having the baby. Because after the birth, there's lots of questions. There's helping with breastfeeding if she wants to breastfeed. I also see the clients after the birth at home when they go back home. So it's a whole big, big package that the parents get and, and really like serving them and making sure. So there's, there's a lot of being in touch during that time, communication. And so a big part for the doula is to learn where to take care of themselves. Otherwise they can't do this for a long time. So as, as you first mentioned at the beginning that you're kind of like a tour guide for the, you know, the mother and the partner could start anywhere in the first trimester, second or third trimester. Mm -hmm. So does that mean that because you're like a tour guide, often people, well, if it's, if that's an apt description or analogy, that often tour guides are for people who haven't been there before. So are most people that hire you and work with you first time mothers? Most of the time, yes. 75% are first time mothers who in fact are scared and don't know what's going on and yeah. want to be informed. They really they just want to know what's going on. And 25% are women who might have had a bad experience the first time. And now they really feel like they need to heal that and they want to know what's going on and avoid whatever happened the first time. Or maybe they had a doula or a great birth experience, but they just, they just need a doula again for whatever reason, right? Sometimes it's, it's my second client. I'm going to have a baby with a mother for the same mother for fourth baby with a client. Really? Next March, which that's the first time that someone is going to have her fourth baby, but I don't have that many clients who have four babies. So. <laughs> So that's great. We've been, we've especially been together in New York, for six right? years. Yeah, especially in New York. And, you know, you're, you're in touch with the client until maybe six months after they still might have a question here and there. And then you're not in touch for three months and then boom, she's pregnant again. So that's kind of nice. It's kind mm. of like being part of the family. Are you also there with the mothers if they go through a C-section as well? Yes. Sometimes we, I get hired for C-section sometimes if they're really scared, if they don't have the partner who goes with them, or if they want someone who's been there many, many times and who can talk them through why do they feel this now, what oils could we use, what to expect. So that can happen, but most of the time doulas join a C-section that's not planned. Our C-section rate is not very high. In New York City, we are at 33%. And doulas usually have a C-section rate of 10%. So Why it's pretty low. So a big thing is that doulas in general lower the C-section risk by 40%. That's why many of our clients hire a doula. The reason is that the doula does, in fact, give information, the pros and cons of interventions. Clients feel safer. They speak up more. 
They try to avoid speeding up the birth, for example. They try to avoid pain medication. It's not that everyone doesn't want pain medication, but they don't need it as early. They use it later, which means less risk for mother and baby. They know how to breathe. They know how to, how to position themselves, but mainly they feel prepared. And when you are prepared for a certain, whatever it is, for a certain event, chances are that the outcome is going to be much better. And that's what the doula is helping with. When my kids were born, we had an OBGYN and, you know, she and I, my wife and I were reading books. We didn't have a doula mm -hmm. and, and we kind of relied on the OBGYN to help educate us along the way and their nurses. How is that different than what you're doing? It depends on the OBGYN, to be honest. There are amazing OBGYNs out there, amazing midwives, of course, who take the time to speak with the patient, with the, with the mother. And who also want what the mother wants. They want maybe that she has slow interventions. They are very patient. But in New York, we don't see a lot of OBs who are very patient or hands off mm. or who have the time, to be honest. And I can only say yeah. from my midwifery experience, I used to be a midwife. I, I was in the medical field and we have like five patients at the same time. And the doula is with the same mother the whole time. I've had births. I mean, last, just last year, I had a mother who said several times, I think the baby's coming. I think the baby's coming. And the doctor came in and said, I just examined you 10 minutes ago. I don't, I don't believe you and left the room and literally <laughs> left the floor and the baby came and I delivered her and, you know, believe the mother. She thinks the baby's coming. So it's really situations like that where I'm in the room and, you know, sometimes I catch the baby that, that really can happen, but it's also <laughs> being there the whole time. I can't tell you how many times things have happened. The mother started bleeding or the blood pressure climbed up, or I did really think the baby was coming soon and nobody was in the room and the nurses often don't know. And then I say, you know what, something is off or the water broke and it looks a little bloody. And I just think maybe someone should check. Oh, okay. But nobody would have done that if there wouldn't have been a doula in the room. I've, I really have had some births where I was just like, whoa, this could have been really, really bad if I wouldn't have been there. Because what the nurses see outside in their little room where they have all the screens, they see the baby's yeah. heartbeat right? and they see the mother's heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. But that's it. They don't see if she's freaking out. They don't see that her bladder is full. They don't see that she's getting nauseous and has been vomiting because she's done that an hour ago. Now the nurse has changed. And so it's, and that can be incredibly stressful if nobody checks in on the mother. And, and I've had births where we needed medical interventions. We had an induction and then the Pitocin, the artificial contraction medication wasn't increased for an hour or two. And you don't want to drag along an induction forever. If you decide you, you take medication, you kind of want to get things going. And I had to like nudge the nurse and remind, and there was always someone else. And it was awful. And finally, we had someone who got it and who was like, okay, yes, we need to up this every 15 minutes. Because if it takes too long, then we get way into the night and mothers get really, really tired. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really kind of overseeing the whole process. And the OBs usually can't do that. Literally, it's a, it's a time issue. Speaking from my experience as the dad of two kids, when we're in that birthing process at the hospital where my kids were born, what would happen was we go in, and different people would come in and out, whether it's the nurses and it's anesthesiologists for the epidural or the OBGYN to come check on the patient. Mm -hmm. But they come in and out. It wasn't like people were staying there. And really, the only people there in the room the whole time were just me and my wife. Yeah, You're that third person there. Yeah, And so it, it seems to me like you're, and correct me if I'm wrong, kind of like a patient advocate, Yes, but there all the time during the, that critical period. Yeah. Does that sound right? 
Absolutely. And advocacy is a big word. I don't, you know, I don't take it. I don't use it all the time because some people are like, oh, she's going to fight for me. You know, she's going to throw herself between mm. the doctor and the mother. <laughs> and there, I think there are doulas out there can be like that. who are anti everything, anti intervention. Uh -huh. Or we don't want this. Like I would never speak for the mother, but I usually have a little trick with my clients where I just tell them, you know, if the doctor wants to do an intervention and I nod along, just, you know, ask your questions or I can explain it, but then just know that I'm totally fine with it or I think it makes sense. But if the doctor wants something and I say, could we ask a few questions or, you know, can you explain this a little more? Then you know that I'm, you know, I, I don't know if this is necessary or that Got maybe. It. And she should just decide on herself in general anyway. But then she at least, usually they just stare at me. The second the doctor comes in, they're like, what do you think? <laughs> you know? And I want to be, of course, hand in hand with the doctors. I don't want to like work against them. Right, right, right. That's a balance to have that kind of communication because you're working with them. They're trying to help the patient. You're trying to help the patient. You're trying to find a balance where the patient can make the best decision for herself. Exactly. Yeah. Are you involved with the child after they're born at all? Yeah. Quite a bit. So the first hour after birth, I help them latch on the baby if they want to breastfeed. Uh, usually there's a big part in their birth plan that covers postpartum. When should they get their shots? When should they get, you know, certain exams? So we can have the so-called golden hour. So mm -hmm. the baby can be on the mom the first hour if possible. I help with the latching and really go over what to expect the first day. Right now, my clients are being sent home after 24 hours. So that is very quick. The milk hasn't come in yet after 24 hours. The baby might lose quite a bit of weight or might develop jaundice. And I want to make sure they know about all these things and they know how to avoid, you know, jaundice, for example, or at least try their very best to give the baby a lot of fluids. So I see them the first hour after birth. Now with Corona, we usually have to leave after an hour. Usually we stay about oh. two hours, okay. so a little longer. But then we stay in touch via text if I'm still alive after the birth. Sometimes I just crash <laughs> for 12 hours, but then my colleague can step in if they have questions. But then I see them a day or two after once they go home and weigh the baby. I'm also a lactation consultant, so weigh the baby and check on the baby and, and make sure they know what's going on until they see the pediatrician, which is usually two days after that. So I bridge those two, three days that they might not see anybody. If they see the pediatrician soon, then I come after because I don't think they need to see two people at the same day on the same day. But there's a lot of questions after birth. I, I could have like a, a standing text line with every client once they gave birth to their baby because they they have so many little questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially those new mothers, right? Yeah, and every baby's different. Sometimes even second or third babies. This time is a, it's a girl. Now the baby girl has a period. Is that normal? Yes, it is. You know, so of course they know. I, I tell them what to expect. Oftentimes the couples are not clear. And so then they call me because I'm basically, I need to take sides, right? So the, the partner says this, the mom says this, and then it's like, which is right. And oftentimes there's no real right or wrong, which is nice for them to notice. I think I try to develop their intuition and don't always tell them what to do. But obviously sometimes the biggest deal is really for the parents to dress their child warm enough. Uh, many forget that this is a child that can't keep their temperature or okay. his temperature. And so, you know, I come to see them and the baby's half naked, no hat, and I measure the temperature and it's like 95.6. And, you know, that's a little scary. So it's things like that. A lot of ways, you're like a consultant on speed dial. Yeah, really. <laughs> yep. Stephanie, what is your typical day like? I know it's not typical, yeah. but if you had to make a typical day for what you do as a doula. 
Yeah. So I also run an agency with 20 other doulas. So I, the morning is usually where I take care, care of the inquiries that we receive and see which doula would be good for which client or, you know, you match send clients out contracts. up with doulas. Exactly. What's mm-hmm. the name of your yeah. company? The New York baby. Got it. The New York baby. Yeah. And, uh, so these days it's a lot about, yeah, what the client wants, where they live, they, what they expect when they're due. You know, Thanksgiving babies, we don't have that many doulas available, like for January babies, for example. So the morning is really my office time. And then I do home visits usually. So I'm always on call. So in the end, I, I look at my schedule, who's due right now. I usually have one client due per week. And then, of course, there's always someone who could go late or early. So in the end, there's always two or three clients who could go in labor any minute. So I look at the schedule and prepare my bags so in case I had a birth. So my partner could actually just throw my bags in the cab and bring it to wherever I am in the city in case I need to run somewhere. And then I do home visits. So I try to limit two home visits for breastfeeding, a lactation consultation, and they could be anywhere through the city. So that usually takes me six hours. Each client I see about 90 minutes. And then, of course, traveling takes a long time. And uh, then I go home and between, of course, on the subway, there's lots of texting and emailing and trying to be in touch with, with some clients, maybe who hired me for something like lactation or maybe someone is in early labor. And then I go home, try to do household stuff. So I usually try to wind down a little bit in the evening because most birth calls I receive around 1 a.m., which is a wonderful time. To get a call, like literally when I just fell asleep. That's the best time to get calls from anybody. <laughs> exactly. Not just birth calls. <laughs> it's just beautiful. I have all the time in the world. It's just great. So it's really like you go to bed and, you know, whatever is going on in my life, usually, of course, I go to bed and I feel fine. But the few times I go to bed and I might have a sore throat or, you know, I didn't sleep well the night before. I'm just like, oh, my God, please, please, please let me sleep. God, let me sleep. And most of the time I get to sleep. But I'd say three times a month, someone calls me at that horrendous 1 a.m. <laughs> my water just broke. If they're in labor, I don't mind. And if they're going to have the baby, but what is horrible is if they're not in labor and they need me, but nothing's happening yet. And I go into the second night. That's what kills me. Like two nights in a row. That's so it, that's, that's your usual schedule. And of course, if you're with, if someone's giving birth, yeah. you're, that's put on hold and you're kind of with them yeah. the whole time at the hospital or their home or wherever they're at. Yeah. And Uh, that can happen. So sometimes someone calls me in the morning kindly enough and says, you know what? I've been crampy all night. Maybe it's picking up and then I cancel everything because I never know when they need me anyway. And I had a birth where first time mom last year, she called me and she said exactly that. And early morning, it's nothing. It's really first babies. They usually pick up maybe that evening and then they really go in labor that night because hormones usually drive the mother into labor in the evening. And Mm. So I canceled things because I also need to rest a little bit. But then, but this client, although it was her first baby, there was something weird in her voice. And she just said, oh, yeah, I've been crampy all night. So I canceled everything and I stayed in touch with her as usual. And usually I just do my day. But for some reason, I just stayed in touch for another two hours. And some, I just was like, this is just strange. I, I, and she said everything everyone else said. It just felt strange. And then eventually I was like, you know what, let me just come and check on you, which sometimes I do just in early labor to check in on her. She was like, okay, great. And I went to Williamsburg, which is about a half an hour away, not too far. And then the dad texts and says her water just broke. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to run. And it was the first baby. There was no reason to run. And I ran, you know, got off the subway, ran to the client and I get there and she stands in the tub and I see her and she looked completely normal. But then she had a contraction and I'm like, 
okay, I need to check you. I, I need to check where the baby is because I really thought this baby was coming. And I always have an emergency glove in my pocket. And I put on the glove and checked her and I felt the head. It was just right there. It was crowning? It was close to crowning. I knew we were, there's no way we're going to make it to the hospital. <laughs> First baby, like two hours. Yeah, and, because it usually uh, takes longer. Several it hours takes to 24 go hours usually. Process, right? And they think the baby's coming and I get there and I'm like, let me go home again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and she had no idea. And there was just something with her. And we called 911. We had them on the phone while the baby was coming. I just got her out of the tub and put her in front of the bed. And two policemen came. They were the closest. They were standing in the corner just like watching <laughs> us. And three contractions later, the baby was out. Wow. So that was really, that was kind of fun because, you know, I, I was a midwife. So, and I rarely get to deliver the baby, right? So it was kind of nice. And everything went well. So, of course, yeah, that was thank nice. goodness. But it's really in that job, there's a lot of gut feeling too. I have no, still no idea what, what made me go to, to see mm. her. So I thank God you did. Yeah. And it's nice to see that. I'm like, oh, okay. I chose the right profession. What is rewarding about your job? Uh, yeah. Those, I think that was one of my favorite stories. Like those things that I have an instinct and I think like something's off here. You yeah. should get checked or I should go see you. In general, the most rewarding is a happy mother, a healthy baby, happy partner. And Really, the, not necessarily that they say, oh, we couldn't have done this without you. With a lot of people, they say that, but it's more like, no, you develop the courage and the strength and the wisdom and whatever. You develop that because I was there, yes, but it's, I don't always do that much. I, I'm just present, right? Yeah. I can't massage someone 15 hours. So I start doing that. Maybe the partner takes over, but eventually she just does her own thing. So just seeing how this patient changes during labor i don't know if you saw your wife before an epidural sometimes but you know they, they go in their zone and they do their thing and it's just and i point that out to the dad sometimes this like technical sides like look at her how you know this chain like the white triangle around her mouth and then that's this phase that's when the cervix is five centimeters and then the dad is like whoa and then the doctor checks five <laughs> centimeter so those things are really nice to just when i see that a client doesn't regret during labor that's they see me and they're just so relieved because you always have to prove yourself a little bit the first couple of hours when you're with them. They pay a lot of money and, you know, obviously they don't want to stand there with their arms crossed and be like, so, you know, why are you here? I've never had that, thank God. But yeah, you want to make sure that they really, really feel like, okay, this was worth it and this is helping and we love this. And yeah. Yeah. Well, you're with them a long time, many yeah. hours. And you get to know you're probably there during certain conversations between the spouses that yeah. they probably wouldn't have with someone else there usually. Yeah. But you're there during those intimate times. Yeah. What misconceptions do people have about your career? A big misconception is that people think a doula is only for home births or a doula is a home birth midwife. Sometimes I ask a client, oh, you want a home birth? Who's your midwife? Oh, I thought you would do that. Uh, mm. No, no, I'm a doula. That's non-medical. So they still need a midwife. They still need their OBGYN. So that's a misconception sometimes, or that we are like punchy and all for natural birth. Everything needs to be like woo woo and oils and music. And especially in New York, I have a lot of clients who are like, whoa, don't come me with candles and oils. But funny enough, when they're in labor and I hold a nice oil under their nose, when they're nauseous, they are like, they love it. So <laughs> in the end, it works, but it's not. You know, I don't think that oils can take labor pain. It will ease it and it will make it more comfortable and better atmosphere. But 
labor surges, they are what they are. And yeah. uh, it's like doing a hike. You, you need to do that hike. I'm going to tell you how to move your feet and how to breathe and where to turn right and left, but you still need to do the hike yourself, right? What do you think the future outlook is like for your profession, Stephanie? It has changed now under COVID because there have been some restrictions. There are still restrictions in certain states that doulas cannot attend the birth in person. Really? So we've done a lot of virtual support in the past month, sometimes because we had to, sometimes because the client preferred it that way. Okay. It works beautifully, but it's a change. Okay. Uh, and of course, the service is somewhat different, what we can and cannot do. I think that the shift is, in, in a good way, is also that insurances are looking more at doulas. Medicaid has a program in many cities where they cover doulas. If they are certified a certain way, um, a donor, or if they're in network, they have to apply with them. So that is a nice and good change, especially for families who truly need it and maybe don't have the resources to find their own to learn themselves about all the pros and cons of everything. So that's a nice change. There's a lot of advocacy happening in the doula world. Black Lives Matter, huge right now, very, very important. And so I think doulas are, people are more aware of doulas now. Let's put it that way. So Got I it. think more and more people hire doulas. It's more of a seen as a profession that is a valid profession, which 10 years ago, nobody knew what a doula is. Now, most people, at least they say, oh, I think I know what that is. <laughs> so I hope in 10 years, they're like, oh, wow, you know, my neighbor is a doula or my best friend is a doula. So I think it's a good, good movement. Do you recommend this career to students? And if so, what kind of students best kind of fit this profession? I think to, in order to be a doula, people need to be very, very flexible because you're on call all the time. You never know what your day is like. You need to do this out of passion because you lose your private life. So you really? can't do this if like with kids, of course, many doulas have kids. I don't know how they do it. I don't have kids. And, you know, you leave your family for 20 or 36 hours. You don't know when you'll be back. You miss your kid's birthday. You miss so many things and you can't blame the client. Obviously, you're on call. So you need to be aware of that. Do it out of passion. I would recommend to do something before some other certificate, whether it's a, a social worker or a nutritionist or many are yoga teachers, but doulas who are 20 and become a doula and, and nothing else who don't have any other foundation. I, I'm not sure how quickly they would be able to live from and um, to uh, market themselves to a point that clients trust them and hire them because you need a lot of knowledge about the body itself. It doesn't need to be medical, but it, any other background, it could be even a you know, personal trainer. You need a lot of knowledge about nutrition, psychology, even, of course, relationship stuff. In my opinion, you need, you need life experience. I'm yeah, certainly more confident now. Then when, and I have clients who say, I don't want her to be 22 if at all possible, because yeah, they want the doula to, you know, speak up and be confident and they usually need more. And most doulas have any kind of other experience. And if it's marketing, you know, it, it doesn't need to be in the health and wellness field, but it's, it's, it's usually something that helps them to get this profession going because a lot of doulas struggle the first years to find the clients. A lot of money and time needs to be spent for marketing, studying and selling yourself, but, but really about giving birth, right? What happens? Stephanie, when you were younger, I'm sh shifting gears here a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but when you're younger, yeah. did you want to be a doula? Was this on your mind? 
I always wanted to be a midwife. So my brother was born when I was 12 and I saw my mom being pregnant. I wasn't at the birth, but then, you know, he was here and I just thought this was incredible. And I was interested in medicine. So I was also trying to get into the space as a place to study medicine, but you know, there was a wait list and in Germany, in Germany, mm -hmm, was mm -hmm. Germany. And so I applied to become, to study medicine and for a midwifery spot at the same time. Meanwhile, I studied how to become a teacher. I studied German oh and English to become a teacher. Lost stuff because, on your plate here. <laughs> yeah. I, I just didn't know when I would, you know, when I would be able to get more into the medical field. And then 1997, I, I received a call that I have this, this space to, to learn midwifery. And my parents would have loved to see me study. And now, you know, 20 years later, I'm like, yeah, I should have studied medicine because it's a little more in depth. You are on a higher level. So I always, as a midwife, I often felt I'm not challenged enough somehow, not, uh, not necessarily intellectually, but more like my options. If you're a midwife, you're a midwife. Yes, you can take, you can give classes, you can do postpartum visits, but as a GYN, you, you can do so many other things on a much higher level. And so that's the one thing I told my parents years later, you should have pushed me, you should have forced me. And they said, <laughs> we tried, we really, really tried. <laughs> so. But you know, I love what I do. So I mean, it's totally fine. But so, so you were you got into you became a midwife in Germany. Yeah, yeah. And you you actually had a career as a mid yeah. midwife for many years. Yeah. And then how I did moved it to just New York. jump? So in Germany, funny yeah. enough, in Germany midwives by law need to deliver the baby. So the doctors versus OBGYNs. Yes. The OBGYN is not allowed to deliver a baby by themselves. They are not. That's the law. Really? So in Europe, I think it's pretty much everywhere, but Germany, a hundred percent, because I am a midwife. So we, you know, I deliver the baby by myself with the mother. Obviously, she delivers her baby. Yeah. But I'm there. I don't have to call a doctor unless there's an issue. They're there. They're on the floor if I need them. But the doctor would is not allowed to to deliver this baby without a midwife. So the midwife needs to be there and and ha you know welcome the baby. So we have much more rights versus in the US, the doctor delivers the baby. And yes, yes, the mother chooses a doctor or a midwife, right? But mostly the mother delivers with the doctor. Mm -hmm. So it is already more medicalized. So I moved to New York 2003, knowing that my midwifery certification is not valid in the US. So I did different things. I was a tour guide in New York. I worked for a Japanese GYN, which was kind of fun. And then eventually, some 2006, someone said, hey, have you thought about being a doula? And I'm like, "What? geez, what's that? Never heard you, of you're that. You're like, what the heck is that? And she said, yeah, yeah, you just need to do a course. I'm like, what? And she literally told me, yeah, it's just the weekend and you don't need any medical training. I'm like, well, I have the medical training, but not here. But anyway, yeah, I looked it up and there we go. That was with Dona and I did the four day training okay. and then did all my other credentials, which compared to midwifery was not uh, really nothing. Plus I'm overqualified as a doula. Many doulas move into midwifery after they've been a doula for a while because they love it and they feel like, okay, I need to What's do the a, medical they part think that's now. The next right? step. Got it. And I need to be more valid and legal and, and uh, yeah, just, just have a different profession with this. But I really enjoyed being the doula because I've done the medical part. I know it. I know where the doctor is coming from, why they recommend something. But I'm here to bring in maybe my perspective and also to be there with her one-on-one, -on -one, which I couldn't do as a midwife. And I really, I enjoy that to help her to be face-to-face, -to, -face, to bond. And so that, yeah, that's how I became a doula in New York. And that was 2006. And then over time, I became so busy. I also, I went back to Munich again and worked for a few years again as a midwife in Munich. 
at the same time, I was still in New York on and off. And I became so busy in 2012 that I founded the New York baby because I also knew doulas who didn't have enough clients. Yeah, I increased my rates and, you know, those newer doulas had lower rates. And I was like, whoa, you know, here are the clients. Here's the doulas. Let's bring them together. Right, right. Yeah. And it's worked out really nicely. It's, I really enjoy it. Uh, bringing in new doulas constantly. There's a lot of doulas who drop out. The burnout rate is pretty high if they're really? not cautious. Yeah. Quite a few. I, I mean, I'm constantly interviewing new doulas. It's, it's really wild. Many love the idea and they love birth, but then they realize how hard it is to yeah. be with someone for 48 hours and, you know, don't see a partner for four days or your kids. Yeah. And, and maybe the passion is not strong enough or maybe they've had another profession before. There's different reasons. Your company, the New York Baby, how many doulas are, do you hire? So I contract them. It's contracted, it's contracted doulas, 20 doulas and half, half, like half do in-person services right now with COVID. The other half does exclusively virtual. And we also offer classes, childbirth classes, and then virtual lactation consultations. Those are really received very well, which is nice. The client really feels like they need help now. Then up, you know, do a FaceTime with them or Zoom call. And that works very nicely. Stephanie, is there anything that you would have done differently reflecting back on, on yourself? I mean, for me, I think I would have studied medicine. I still think like, oh, maybe I should still do it, but no, it's too late now. And I love what I do. And it's, I think it's, you know, it takes a lot of time to build your business. <laughs> Looking back, I think that would have been, yeah, maybe more better for me. But at the same time, to be a doula who comes from the midwifery side and is a little overqualified for that. That's unique. Yes. And also, I love the entrepreneurial side. So to be a doula, you really... You have to have an entrepreneurial mind and be oh. creative and curious and, you know, look, what's my niche? What kind of people want to do I want to focus on? I noticed that, yeah, creative doulas. I have some doulas who used to be models. And I have one who's an architect. Like they, they do all kinds of stuff, oh. but then they bring that in. Yeah. And it's really great. It is a wonderful profession as a postpartum doula. If you don't do births and you don't want to be on call and you just visit clients after birth, you have your schedule. You can say, I see you three hours every Got day, 11 a.m. So it's, it's a little bit less time and, consuming yeah. by being a postpartum doula versus a birthing or birth yes. doula. And the postpartum, that is easier with like a family and with the schedule. It doesn't have the same income. You make more as a doula for birth because it's so crazy and you're on mm -hmm, call and mm -hmm. dropping. Understandable. Can't drink alcohol and whatnot. Oh. <laughs> I can't leave the city for a birthday party in New Jersey, but who wants to leave the city right now? <laughs> so it's, yeah, so it's nice to, you can do all these different things. And that's the thing. If you're not scared of all this flexibility, or if you have another business where you're self employed and super flexible, then being a doula is amazing because you can mm. start super easy. You take one birth or one client for postpartum. Yeah, and see how you like it and do it for fun. There's certainly doulas out there who just take on four births a year and I love it. Yeah. Stephanie, I want to change the topic a little bit. Thank you so much for sharing the information, but I'm going to change it a little bit to Dr. Marn's Fun Lightning Round. Ooh. <laughs> you may have heard about this already. Are you ready? Yes, I am. All right. Favorite day of the week? Saturday. Favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chocolate. I like that. <laughs> if you could sing one song on American Idol, what would it be? Oh, gosh. I love Whitney Houston in general, I have to say. It's, those are very powerful songs. The greatest love of all. Uh, yes. that, that's what it would be. What's something you could eat for a week straight? 
what I love during labor and long births and whatnot is bread with butter and honey. Really? It's just amazing. And I'm super health conscious and whatnot, but this is just, it gives you the right sugar booster and it's also a treat and yeah, perfect. One of your favorite books you don't mind reading again? I love all Lily Brett books. Lily Brett? Lily Brett. She writes wonderful stories about New York. One book is called New York. She's very wise, has lots of life wisdom and her books, you can read them several times. Most beautiful place you've ever been? Most beautiful place I've ever been. Gosh, so many. You can choose Alaska. One. Alaska. Alaska. Yeah, that was where I was in awe when I was in Alaska. If you could ask a pet two questions, what would it be? I would ask my cat, do you actually like me? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, are you ever satisfied? <laughs> She likes to eat all the time. If you had to live in a different state in the U.S., uh-huh. what would it be? California. And if you had to more because uh, of the lifestyle, maybe not because of the fires, right? Yes. Yeah. If if you were told you only had one week to live, what would you do? I would hope it's in winter, and I would go skiing in Switzerland. Mm, that's my fun. favorite thing to do. If you could travel back in time, is there a period you would go back to? I think the 60s sound fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, see my parents and what, hearing their stories, uh, having visited Woodstock and whatnot. The 60s, not too far away from... Not too far. <laughs> and final question. Can you say something about yourself that most people at your workplace would not know about you? I guess the tour guide thing. That's something because that's so out of my profession. I was a tour yeah. guide in New York and I picked up people from the airport and I sometimes spend a whole week with VIP clients staying at the Palace Hotel and I had all this itinerary with them. I celebrated uh, New Year's Eve at the Marriott with them and crazy wow. things like that. So <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like fun. Uh, that was fun, yeah. Stephanie, where can listeners go to reach you and learn more about you? They can go to my website, thenewyorkbaby.com. There's also a few videos that describes what a doula is and how to have a good birth experience. So thenewyorkbaby.com. They can email me at stephanie at thenewyorkbaby.com. Certainly, if they're interested in you know, learning more about the profession, I also have a video uh, that I have for doulas-to-be because oh. I got so many inquiries over the years. How do I be a doula? Can I talk to you? And I yeah. actually don't have the time, but I made a video that I just sent out to people. This is what I did. And it's on your website? It's not on my website. People email me, and then I send it to them with a password on my website. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah. So I think All that right. could be helpful as well. Steffi? Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. A lot of fun, laughs, and educational, of course. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Health Careers with Dr. Martin. I really enjoyed talking with Stephanie Heintzeller about her career as a birth doula in New York City. I especially liked how she talked about being like a tour guide for the birthing process. I think that was a a great analogy to help better understand what she does for her clients and her patients. To learn more about this guest and other past guests, or if you'd just like to reach out to me, please visit healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. I'd love to have you please subscribe to our email list by adding your email to my homepage. That way I can send you the latest updates and news. Again, Thank you for your support and listening and catch you on the next episode.